Welcome to the Masterminds Podcast Channel, brought to you by DonorSearch, a leader in prospect research tools and analytics, and your host, one of America's top philanthropic experts and fundraising consultants, Jay Frost. is the author of Monthly Giving, The Sleeping Giant, and a self-described philanthropy-holic, a native of the Netherlands who speaks four languages and has over 20 years experience in direct marketing for both nonprofit and for-profit organizations around the world. She has guided clients in raising many millions of dollars, acquiring and retaining thousands of their donors and members, as well as starting and building sustainer programs. Erica is a certified master trainer and a popular speaker at conferences locally, nationally, and around the world. We caught up with her at her home in Massachusetts. Welcome to the program, Erica. It's great to have you. Welcome, I'm excited. Well, I, of course, I talked a little bit about your background in that brief bio, but how would you describe yourself? Wow, um, I would say, I, uh, I, I typically say like I'm a philanthropaholic, so mm -hmm. I love uh, fundraising. I love being a fundraiser. And uh, it's something I rolled into uh, almost 27 years ago now. I was in publishing before, but I absolutely love it. And the reason is because you work with nice people, people who are passionate about the causes they work for, and you know, you can make a difference. So and it's, it's a great way to make a difference. Um, you know, in, in many, many ways as a, uh, as a fundraiser, as a fundraising consultant. Right. Now you're a native of the Netherlands mm -hmm. and you speak four languages, mm -hmm. <laughs> but you're a fundraising consultant in the U S today and you yes. continue to work globally. But tell us a little bit about that journey and what brought you from there to here. Well, I mean, I, I probably moved here like as a, a lot of you know, foreigners who immigrated into the U.S. I married an American, and uh, you know, it was it was not always an easy journey uh, because you know, growing up in a very small country that I don't know if you've ever been there, but I mean, the Netherlands is is like it's three hours from top to bottom, and it's two hours from left to right, basically. So it's a very small country, and uh, you know, so. In, in everything is smaller <laughs> because of it. So, uh, and it's, you know, it's a very busy country as well. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's also uh, has some different, um, it has 22 political parties, just to give you an idea. <laughs> so uh, 17 million people uh, who can vote for 22 different political parties. And, um, you know, so, so a lot of things are, are a little bit different, but it, it's just a, it's a, you know, great country, but because it's so small, people have always had to, uh, you know, learn other languages and uh, trade with other countries. So it's a very international country. And I've always worked in international companies because of it. So, so as a young person growing up, you had to learn English, you know, like Dutch is obviously the first language, but then you learn English. And then what I grew up near the German and Belgian border. So I grew up 
basically understanding German just because of watching TV and, you know, being in the area. So, um, and then I later learned French and I actually even learned Spanish as well. So, because you had to, you had to, nobody speaks Dutch, so you have to learn other languages. Um, so, so coming to this country was, you know, it, it, it felt like home pretty quickly because I, you know, I'd spoken English pretty much all my life. So, so it was not a, not a, that part was not a big deal, so. But a big transition, I'm sure, in terms of um, the work environment. I'm, I can think about a couple things right away. You, uh, you say small country, uh, but of course a country with a great deal of history. And for those who don't know, it's also a place that's at least understood to be extraordinarily philanthropic, mm -hmm. um, but perhaps in different ways. Can you yeah. talk about maybe some of those similarities and differences and maybe how they inform your work? Yeah, so so in the Netherlands, because it's so small and, and people live pretty close, you know, like lots of like uh, apartment buildings and row houses and, and what have you. So, for example, collections, people going door to door asking, you know, with a collection, uh, you know, uh, bucket, if you will, uh, w was very, very common. Um, and direct mail, I mean, the postal service is phenomenal. And uh, I mean, you know, you literally mail a letter today and the person at the other end of the country gets it tomorrow. So it's really like 24 hour turnaround. So um, so that really has helped with uh, with a lot of philanthropy, uh, direct mail as well. And then the banking system uh, is has always been, um, you know, very, uh, I would say, probably forward thinking um like to pay a bill you don't mail your payment to the company you owe money to you mail it to the bank and the bank scans it and then just passes on to the company a file that tells you that i've paid my bill so um so and and actually like the the mailing to the bank uh that was free so you could just, you know, put all your payment forms in one envelope for, you know, I don't know how many bills you had to pay and it just goes to the bank, they scan it in and the, and every company that you owe money gets, uh, you know, an overview that you have paid your bill. So none of that, like having to do data entry and caging and all of that, the bank does all of that for you. So, so I remember when I had came to this country and somebody told me that, there was this big building and this was just for my bank that where 1700 people were sorting checks every day. I was like, what? <laughs> so, so that was definitely a, a cultural, uh, a cultural difference. So, uh, so, but yeah, I mean, and because you could pay, you know, make these payments very easily. I mean, the, the bank was also there again, you know, like philanthropic organizations didn't have to pay anybody doing the data entry because the bank was already doing that for them. Wow. What a so, difference. Yeah, it's very different. And then I think the other thing is like, you know, bank accounts were much more prevalent. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I got my first credit card, because I was traveling, I got my, I got a credit card. I mean, that credit card had to be paid off every month. Mm -hmm. It was, it was really not a credit card. You just, you know, uh, it, it just, you just had to pay it. There was no other option. You had to pay it off every month. So, uh, so that has changed a little bit, but it's still, uh, 
very similar. So people are just much more comfortable like paying, you know, through their bank. So and 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 every company would literally have their bank account information on their letterhead. So you could pay, you know. As you talk about this, I'm thinking about um, the relationship that we have with our customers, or in the case of all of our, you know, our charitable sector with our donors. Mm -hmm. And on the one hand, we have this massive <laughs> expense and time and money to, as you said, you know, receive gifts and, and correspond with people. But yeah. that also is an opportunity to engage with them in different ways. I and I wonder if that's uh, if there's if that's an opportunity that we've been uh, successful in exploring here in terms of our philanthropy, or if that's uh, something we can streamline and be it definitely relate to monthly giving. So yeah. what are your thoughts about how we can learn from the experience, not just in the Netherlands, of course, but globally in terms of making sure that what we do works more effectively, but we also maintain the relationships we have with people who are giving to us? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, 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 well, two, two things come to mind is like, I think the, um, I mean, the, the fact is that if you have to manually enter a gift mm -hmm. into a donor base, right, which is what typically happens here, right? I mean, and, and some, some bigger organizations have scanners and, you know, they scan it in and, you know, files are uploaded and stuff like that. So that's a little bit more advanced. Um, but that's more expensive, right? So, so most smaller organizations just simply can't afford that. So they still have manual thing. I mean, the relationship building is as, as long as you know who made the gift and what it was for, you can build that relationship because you actually have more time to do it, right? Because all you you're just getting, a, you could literally get a list every day of, hey, who are the most, the 10 highest donors yesterday or, you know, things like that. So, um, so there's, there's still ways around that, that you get reports and, and all that. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's, it, it's just like, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a cultural difference. Um, so, you know, I worked for, when I moved to this country, I started working for an international organization mm -hmm. and they were raising funds in six countries at the time. And I was able to, you know, basically use my experience uh, working with the Dutch, you know, banking systems and, and because I spoke German, I could help with the German system. And, you know, so, and, and it was, which again was very, very similar to the Dutch system because they were also using these payment forms and also scanning and literally just uploading files. So, so I think that the building of the relationships um, is easier if you don't have to spend a lot of time, like, you know, getting to the point where you can, you know, run and selection from your database and and do a mail merge and 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 send out personal letters and and what have you. So, um, so I think it, that that part is it's kind of a bottleneck, uh, and I hear that a lot. Like, you know, especially now it's January and people are like, oh well, how are your how did your appeals do and uh, how many monthly donors did you did you get? And they're like, well, I'm still like entering them in, and you know, so it's like uh, so. So you, you see, I mean, you only have like 24 hours a day, right? So you can't do certain things if you have to do other things that could possibly be automated. True. But it's, it's getting there. So monthly giving is like, that's, that's the beauty of it. It's like, because you're getting the money in automatically, mm -hmm. uh, it's one less thing that you have to manually enter typically. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and again, it's like that ongoing revenue that you can count on um, that just keeps coming in no matter what happens. I mean, if we have a disaster, right? Uh, and, 
you know, the, and there's disasters, whether it's a fire or a flood or an earthquake or something, there's lots of disasters. And if that means that you can't go out of the mail or it means that you can't, or your internet's shut down for whatever reason, you know, so then, then you can't get any money, but yeah. monthly giving, monthly gifts keep coming in. And you made that case so well in, in the flash class that mm -hmm. you, that you did. Um, talking about the, I think you said that the retention rate was double for yes. donors, yeah. Um, yeah. and of course so a lot more revenue. Um, there's also this whole personal dimension to that, where people, I'm sure, feel invested in a different way mm -hmm. because they're giving yeah. monthly. But yeah. how, how does one sustain that so that people don't feel uh, like they're just, you know, the money's going out every month, but rather that they are really that there's a relationship that they develop that they are truly partners. Yeah, so so, and I think this is, you know, again, for for a while, um, when when organizations first started, you know, with monthly giving, people would say, oh, once they're a monthly donor, you can't communicate with them, and that was wrong, mm -hmm. right? So, and that's what happened. Like sometimes people say, well, yeah, I just brought in these monthly donors, and now I don't have to do anything. And and now, uh, and again, we see the statistics, right? And we see the feedback we get from monthly donors. It's like once somebody gives monthly, they give monthly because they care about the organization. They want to support the organization. And giving monthly is just something that's easy on their budget. But that's really the third reason. The first reason is they want to give. They want to support the organization, right? So, so giving them feedback, telling them stories, um, you know, making it as personal as you can is still crucial, right? So still building a relationship, keeping them up to date on what's happening, you know, that's that's the key. And the more personal you can make that, the better off you are. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I think, you know, organizations a lot of times don't do themselves any favors by sometimes be very t siloed, other times be very um, worried that they can't repurpose things, right? Uh, and, and, you know, I hear that all the time. Oh, and I said, well, hey, do you have a thank you video? Oh, oh yeah, we, we did one like three months ago. Okay, so well, where is it? And well, yeah, we sent it out by email one time. Okay, well, I said, well, why can't you use that to say welcome to a new monthly donor, or why can't you put it in an email or in an e-news or, well, hmm, yeah, well, but didn't they already see it? Yeah, some people may have seen it, but that's three months ago, so nobody's gonna tell you, oh, you're bad because you sent me the same video that I've already seen, you know? Most people wouldn't, you know, wouldn't think about that. They probably forgot, right? So, uh, so people think that they have to constantly come up with new stuff. Right. And I think if you kind of look at what's being developed within your organization, what's already there, maybe you have a major gift department. Maybe you have somebody that does a really great job stewarding donors in another area somewhere, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's like, oh, maybe they're doing something special as a follow up to an event. Well, you can steal that. You can use it. It's it's okay, right? You know, so um, so you don't have to come up with the brand new idea all the time because that's just impossible, right? So uh, so I think if people were a little bit more like, oh, hey, you know, yeah, let me look at look back at what I haven't used in a while, and and maybe 
use it again, um, you'll be much better off, right? So, um, well, and no, just because we forgot it or we we already saw it doesn't mean the donor remembers it, right? Yeah. So, that's right. I, I mean, yeah. there are a lot of things that we say that we need to say again, or yeah. maybe maybe the reason why they responded is because they, you know, what we talked about resonated for them. So, yeah. why not talk about the thing that was meaningful? Right. Um, I, but I do want to ask you if you've seen this work particularly well in a case or two. I mean, what what has it, it, do you see an example of an organization you've worked with or you've seen from afar where they have taken this to a new level where they're really building those relationships and they've made something that not only brings all that revenue, but mm -hmm. make people really feel like they're the partners with the organization? Yeah, I mean, I, I gave an example of a of an animal welfare charity, uh, it, you know, in the uh, in the webinar that it's a small animal charity. They have 2,500 donors. Uh, they have like I think right now they're about 350 monthly donors, and they look at you know their and they're volunteer run, right? So it's mm -hmm. not a huge organization, but the person who's running it is a financial planner. He gets it. He right. sees how powerful this monthly donor stuff is. So, and he's like, and he's, and he always calls me up and say, hey, Erica, guess what we just did, right? So, and so he tells me what they've just developed or whatever, and uh, and then you know, or they says, well, what do you think about this, right? So, um, and they, you know, they're always trying to engage their, uh, their they call them BFFs. They're always trying to engage their um, monthly donors, uh, they have an event and they put a special like, uh, you know, marker on the name tags. Mm -hmm. right? uh, and then they, they have a special like table for the monthly donors, right? So when they come to an event, they, they do that in, and they don't have a lot of events, but they have a couple of these low, low key, low ticket events where they can recognize them. Right. So, right. So those are a couple of things that that they do, and then they hand write a personal note on, you know, their tax letter in January. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, they call and say, "Wow, I just want to say thank you," you know, um, and be on the lookout because your calendar is coming soon, you know. So kind of like tying that. Uh, again, they don't mail a lot. They don't, you know, so they don't do a lot, but. But everything that they do is they always have um, the monthly donors in in mind. Um, so I think that that's an example of an organization that I think has done a really good job with their stewarding piece. And again, they keep them. And you know, and 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 if for some reason the credit card expires, well, they immediately send a very personal email, and they call right. So um, and it, they keep it being very personal, right? So it's not like, oh, it, in, in your face, like you're bad, you know, like oh, you're like your credit card lapse. No, no, no. It's like, hey, I just want to, you know, remind you, well, you know, and th this happens to me all the time myself, you know, so and and just kind of like make the donor feel at ease. Like, oh, this uh, this was not a bad thing that happened, but hey, here we can fix it, you know, so. So that's that's one thing. And I think the other part is like there's a couple of organizations that I think do a really good job um bringing new monthly donors in uh by again you know like using video using the personal touch 
trying to build that relationship as a, I want to invite you, you know, like one organization I saw, they did a little tour of their facility. And, you know, like just one of those virtual tours, right? And and then at the end of it, it's like, would you like to become uh, a uh, an ambassador is what, what the name of their multi-donor program is. So, um, and that video works really well. And it, it then sits on, on, um, on a reply, you know, a donation form, if you will. I mean, this best friends animals, uh, they do a great job, like, you know, watch the animals play and you play and, and, you know, it's one of those funny cat and dog videos and people love it and, hey, they go watch it and, oh, by the way, why don't you become a, you know, multi-donor, you know, as part of, as part of that. So, so it's almost like built in, very playful, almost, it looks like an afterthought. It's not, but it, but it looks like an afterthought and, but it works. You've, you've worked with a number of animal organizations. You? Yeah. you were at uh, International Fund for Animal Welfare, I think. Yeah. And yeah. Um, what, what makes those organizations so unique in kind of the ecosystem of charity? What, what, what do you think makes it attracts donors to them? What attracts you to these organizations? Well, I mean, well, I'm a, I'm a cat person. So, um, so we have a cat, uh, and, uh, you know, animal care, I mean, animal charities is like, people who support animal charities, they, they get a lot of love back. It's that unconditional love from the animals that they, they uh, care about and animals can't speak. So we have to be their voice. Right. So that's, you know, so I think that's what attracts a lot of animal donors um, to make a difference to, you know, a cat or dog or a parrot or, you know, or a rabbit, whatever it is that they, that they care about because they can't speak for themselves. So we have to do it for them. And, uh, you know, I think, I think that's the, the biggest reason why, you know, puppies and kittens and, you know, like that everybody, virtually everybody loves animals. So, uh, and, and they're actually almost more successful than children's charities, right? Because everybody loves animals and everybody, a lot of people have animals. So, um, so it, again, it's just close, close to their heart, if you will. Right. So I think that's, that's why, you know, I mean, like, you know, Tom Ern always says, well, you know, everybody should have a puppy in their direct meal pieces, right? But I've actually tested it, like, you know, we had a, I was working for a homeless organization and, and one of their um, uh, homeless folks, I mean, they, they got a chance to, to live in this, this community home and, uh, and he had a, a dog and we use a dog image and and it worked better than the one without the dog image you know so um so again it it was just one more thing like oh oh i'm supporting this person and this dog you know so it it, it was a double whammy if you will sure yeah I, it, as you as you look um, at all the things you've been doing over these years and seeing how organizations are are taking some of these things that you've learned and applied and applying them in their own context and making them work. Are you seeing any major change? I and mean, we've seen so much in terms of social media, including things like putting those pictures of animals or those yeah. cat videos. Yeah. Are, are you, are, are, what do you imagine coming soon uh, in terms of what we do to, to make sure people really feel like they're investing in, in the things that matter to them. What, what are the tools and techniques we use, but what's working for charity as a whole? Yeah. I mean, I guess 
that that's an interesting question. Um, I think video has still has a way to go. I think it's not used um, at all to the extent it could be used. Um, but I think the other piece of it is a lot of organizations think that donors are only on social media or are only on email and they forget that that's not the case. So I kind of almost think like we need to go back to basics mm-hmm. and, you know, and I think, I mean, you know, again, I was just going through my mail and, and there's a wonderful thank you card. Right. And, and it's like, wow. I mean, a thank you. card. Actually, I got two thank you cards in the mail, one for my husband, one for me. So it's like, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's like the first thing you open and you're going to hold on to it. And it's like the, somebody took the time to write a thank you card. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's that personal touch. It's like, I'm not a number. I'm special. Right. And I think that's what, what we can't lose. Mm-hmm. We have to be careful not to lose that. And I mean, you know, and, and with this social media, with the phones, I mean, you know, again, you probably go to restaurants just as, as much as I do. And you see couples that are just looking at their phone. They're not talking. Right. And it's like, well, you need, we're still human beings. Right. We need to talk to each other. We need to communicate with each other. We need to make each other feel good. Right. And and kind of give each other mini hugs at times. Right. So and that's kind of and there's a couple of different ways that you can do that as a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think we have to be careful not to lose that because because we're human beings. Right. Um, and we're, we're not computers. We're not, you know, phones We're, you know, uh, we want to hear from people. We want to communicate. We want to talk to people and, and have that personal connection. And, and, you know, I mean, you do a lot of major gifts. Well, major gifts, it's all about relationships. Mm-hmm. It's once you have those relationships, it's not hard to ask for money because, you know, it, you kind of know what's coming, right? So I, th- I think that's that's what we have to remember uh, and, and go back to that and saying, okay, well, you know, maybe what did your grandma used to write you? Or what did you used to have to write to grandma when, you know, you got your Christmas gift, you sent a thank you card, right? Well, that's what, you know, donors like that too because they don't get a lot of them. So you're standing out even more if you do it. I mean, thank you calls. Virtually nobody does thank you calls anymore. But if you get a call, it's like, wow, that's that person took the time to look at my phone number and, and, you know, call me because I made a $5 a month gift. Mm -hmm. It's very powerful. So I think that's, that's what I think we, we want to, we should, go back to that um, and especially as younger fundraisers are coming behind us they need to want to understand and learn the old way of, of recognizing people I think um, it just that's just my my personal opinion um, so in terms of what's new I mean I don't know I think it's it's just uh, going back to basics first and then again looking at what you can do within your organization without going crazy and without like chasing the next big. It's like, it's all about small things. Um, 
in in what would the donor want, what is a donor like, and how can you build a relationship? And whether it's a monthly donor or a major donor, I mean that doesn't really that doesn't really matter. So it's like a donor is is a donor, and and in some cases, for them, five dollars a month may be a really big deal, but they're doing it. Thank you so much, Erica. This yeah. is really a wonderful conversation and a great way to kind of refocus on on the people who are making everything we do possible. Thank you.